Hi, everyone. I'm Susan Harrow, media coach, marketing strategist, and author of the best-selling book, Sell Yourself Without Selling Your Soul. I'm also CEO of PRSecrets.com, and I want to welcome you to the Be a Media Darling podcast. Join us on BeAMediaDarling.com and PRSecrets.com, where you'll get free goodies and also the resources that we mention in each episode, as well as other delightful things that will help you shine in the media spotlight. On Work Your Story Wednesday, I'll walk you through specific nitty-gritty storytelling steps that you need to take in order to get noticed by the media, get invited to appear in the media, and my secrets to getting invited back. We'll also chat about the three P's, how to prepare, package, and position yourself before you even email or pick up the phone to pitch the media. Tune in every Wednesday for tips about how to pitch producers and editors so they email or call you back ASAP. Welcome everyone. Our topic today is how to use storytelling for leadership and PR. And our guest is Dave Ursillo. He's a teacher of writing, creativity, yoga, and all things self-expression. And he's a former politico who once walked in the West Wing of the White House and aspired to become a presidential speechwriter, which is so fascinating. We were just talking about how to frame questions properly that you learned from being in politics. Mm-hmm. Then in 2009, disillusioned with the state of politics and questioning his role in the system, Dave quit his job and abandoned his career in public service to live a life of personal leadership using writing as his vessel for change. That's so beautifully written too, Dave. I mean, I'm Thank obviously you. reading your bio, but it's a story in itself, right? Like Absolutely. All, your bio is even your very first story. And we'll talk about that in a minute. So today, Dave works with conscientious creatives, innovative professionals, heart-centered self-starters, and everyday yogis who wish to live, serve, and thrive at the crossroads of self-knowledge and self-expression. And he's published five books and been published in six more and has led writing, creativity, and yoga workshops in eight countries. He's the founder of The Literati Writers, a private membership writing community which teaches writers of all levels how to stop struggling and start loving their writing, which I know is a very big thing, you know, for people who struggle writing. And that Mm -hmm. is literatiwriters.com. That's the home of his positivity-infused online writing group, which is a very interesting phrase. So when Dave is not writing, he loves to travel abroad. He's been to India twice. He considers coffee an act of artistry. Oh, my God, we didn't talk about Bulletproof Coffee, which we'll have to do, which I've had my first cup this morning. And wants to help humans love one another. So find Dave and his 400, Dave, wow, published pieces of writing at Dave Versillo. Dot com U-R-S-I-L-L-O. And gosh, Dave, I forgot to ask you one of the cardinal rules. Did I pronounce your name right? You did. You pronounced it phenomenally. And I'm not saying that lately because it is a pretty tough name to pronounce. I hear variations from Ursulo, kind of all mushed together, to the Spanish variant, Ursillo, which is very... Ursillo, yeah. It makes you sound very, you know, exotic and unique. But it's actually an Italian name. Ursulo is how to pronounce it. Or Utsilo would be, I guess, the Italian pronunciation, which it roughly translates to mean small bear. Oh, uh, but you're a big bear. Like, yeah. Aren't you? Because you look like you're like six eight or something. Oh, I wish. I'm like only five nine and a half, and I'm like really, really trying. To, I'm trying to stretch out that five nine and a half. Oh my god! I thought you were like a giant. Honestly, I thought you were like at least six five from all your pictures. That well, must be just your big presence. The beauty of working online is that you can feign like extreme height and size and like Tony Robbins stature. But no, just a humble five ten ish. 
But yeah, you know, I can throw down. I don't do much throwing down, but I can throw down if I need to. At least I'd like to think so. Good for you. Good for you. But I just want to say to our listeners, too, you know, one of the things, if you have a difficult name or anything to pronounce, tell the person ahead of time if they don't ask. And I forgot to ask. I usually ask. You know, I sort of assumed I knew how to say it. But then as I was saying it, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm hoping that I sang it right. And if I didn't, that you as the listener should correct me in an instant. Because right. there's no shame in that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you nailed it. So I'm glad that I didn't have to correct you, but I do the same thing too. And then it's another little tip for listeners because I do some interviewing myself uh, with different people and, you know, without fail, if I do butcher something or have to ask them again to pronounce their name correctly, my like go-to little like self-deprecating humor is that with a name like Ursillo, you'd expect me to be better at pronouncing everybody else's name because I would hope that they <laughs> pronounce it better myself. And it kind of breaks the ice when I have that faux pas myself and butcher a name. So it does happen. Yeah, that's great. Well, you know what? We're talking about storytelling and storytelling is so hot right now. I mean, it's always been hot because it's the way that we pass on tradition from one to another oral storytelling, but it's had mm -hmm. a comeback. And I see now everybody's a storytelling coach. And you've been one for quite a while, and you've told me that how somebody tells her story or tells his story is someone's first and perhaps best source of PR. And so I'm curious as to how and also how did you use story to get where you are today? Absolutely, Susan. It's a great question, and thank you for asking it. It's so true. You know, you let in by saying that everybody's kind of a storytelling coach nowadays, and it's making a big comeback. And what I really like to make clear, and I tell this to myself all the time, is I don't deep in my heart consider myself to be a storyteller. I consider myself to be a writer and someone who naturally, like years ago, gravitated to the art form of a story to not only change my life, but quite literally save it from, you know, you mentioned in my backstory being disillusioned with politics and public service. I was also quite depressed at the time at this point in my life when I was really, you know, a total crisis of identity. I was young at the time, but I was living in this phase of everything that I expected the world to be and my career to be and my life to be was exactly the opposite of what I had hoped. And as a result, going through you know, a breakup at the time and nothing was going right. And somehow, tragically, nothing was wrong. You know, I had a job and this was in 2009, like just following, you know, the housing crisis and credit crisis and the world was in pretty rough shape economically. I had a job and I had possibilities. You know, I was in a position of privilege and dreading that my life wasn't as good as I had hoped. But the crisis was more of a spiritual one. And this is where the storytelling came into play, where I knew that deep in my heart, I was not living the story that I wanted to be telling. And sometimes that phrase can seem like, you know, the life is meant to be told or witnessed in a shallow sense. But truly, it was more that my soul was so craving purpose and and depth and experience that was not being experienced as it was in my life. And so I decided to leave my job relying upon the tool that I felt so close to, which was writing, as my own kind of personal means of not only knowing myself, but sharing myself. And I believe that writing could be my tool for giving to the world in ways that could make an impact starting today, whereas the world that I was living in, the world that I was leaving in politics and public service, which you could relate to really any industry on a corporate level or just, you know, something that 
doesn't completely jive with your heart and soul. And that world was telling me that I needed to wait to make a difference, which was ironic because it's public service, right? It's supposed to be serving the public and helping people. But I was told that I needed to wait to earn my keep. And I was told that I needed to do more to deserve to help people. And in my heart, I said, you know, I'm not going to save the world all on my own, but I can't help but feel like I could help one person today. And if that's with a blog post, then I was intent on doing that. So I left my job, my career, and I started to, before I really knew it, Susan, I was sharing my story because it just seemed so natural for me to be telling other people who may be in a position similar to me that there was hope and that there was a chance and that there was choice that the circumstances that, you know, whether there was a job that they didn't find fulfilling or there was other circumstances of hardship and like depression or, or disillusionment or whatever the circumstances were almost didn't matter. If there was a sense or a source of suffering within that person, I wanted them to know that there's a possibility for change. And so just on the merit of telling my story and kind of exposing myself and my own beliefs and also my struggles, before I really knew it, I was becoming a storyteller and I was using my story to start to cultivate the life that I wanted to live and in turn, helping others change the story of their lives. And so these years later, now over seven years later, I find myself doing what we would call like business storytelling work or professional storytelling work. Sometimes people use the term storyteller to mean that they get on stage and they have, you know, rehearsed or different, you know, various stories that they perform. For me, I get very intimate into the voice and the values that somebody lives by and I help them express where they've been, but more importantly, where they're going or where they wish to go and what they wish to create with others hand in hand to co-create a future that is brighter and healthier and more unified and loving. And that's the storytelling that I do now. And so, you know, almost by accident, Susan, I started to become a storyteller just out of pure necessity. And that's the essence that I really want to give to people is that storytelling isn't necessarily an art form that ought to be mastered before you start telling yours. Story is the most human, fundamental art form that has ever existed. It's psychological too. We tell stories just to make sense of the world, to explain how we began this phone call or the commute into work this morning or you know how to make the perfect cup of coffee. It's all story because story is just context. It's relevance. It's creating some meaning. It's assigning relevance to otherwise random facts and details. And so we're all telling stories all the time. We're telling stories in our head and out loud. And so when you start to at least to just understand how many stories we live and share and experience in marketing and PR and advertising and so on, then I believe it really starts to open your world to the possibility that exists to restory yourself or to store yourself all over again in the ways that you desire. And it's, you know, something just as simple as using your words can help you open the door and get and walk through it. So you were first saying, you know, you weren't, I think you said you weren't living the story you wanted to live and yes. that by using your voice and values and what you want to create for yourself and others, you can change the direction of your life. Absolutely. And you also were saying that you can restore yourself by telling the new future with mm-hmm. stories. Is that what you're saying too? Like you can say, okay, this was the story that I was, like you were in the West Wing of the White House and that wasn't serving you. And now you're going to tell a new story and then tell the story first and then live yeah. into it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's twofold, Susan. Exactly right. So if you look at yourself in the present moment, 
you can take a journal, take some paper, or just sit in thought and meditation and reflect on what are the stories that I'm living right now? You know, what are the stories when I wake up, I hear in my head, is it a story of anxiety, of nervousness, if I have to do more, I have to rush, I have to do this, X, Y, and Z? Is it a story that I'm living my purpose? Is it a story that I'm fractured, that I'm unwhole, that I don't feel like I'm living my authentic truth? These are the things, the narratives, the quiet narratives that we hear in our head, you know, the ego, the narration that we always hear and that affects our physical bodies, that affects the direction, the quality of the decisions that we make, the quality of our relationships. So just hearing now in the present moment, you can start to look at the stories that are dictating your reality. And that's what I was doing over seven and a half years ago when I said, you know, I kind of had this out of body experience, this awakening moment where I realized that, you know, I didn't want to keep living the story of I'm depressed. I was that thing, but I also didn't want to continue to live the story of I am depressed and I hate my job and I have to wait five years to start to make a difference. So that was the impetus for me. It was, you know, quitting my job was small in comparison to the decision to start to change the story. You know, like quitting my job was a facet of like how I physically adjusted my life to change the story that I would be living in the future. And then from that point, you know, when I found the space and the freedom, having quit my job, and not everybody needs to, but, you know, whenever you cultivate the physical circumstances to help you create the space, it's almost like you're opening a new journal page and you're saying, okay, how do I want to fill this space now? And to me, through a process of deep and long reflections over months and months of just writing for myself and for no one in particular, I started to realize, you know, all these pieces that I had been living throughout my life, which were, I'm here to make a difference in some way. I'm here to lead with or without followers that I don't need politics and public service to validate a calling of leadership within me, but just by writing, starting a blog, starting to publish mm. some of those 400 essays and blog mm. posts. Yeah, that I can start to, yeah, I can start to make a small difference. And the co-creative power is once you've made peace with the past, you're starting to adjust the things that have led you to where you are here and now today, then you have the freedom, the choice, the creative ability to say, how do I want to live? And what do I want to bring up people into relationship with me and what does that look like what does it feel like and that's what we all do all the time right when we're doing the work that we do whether it's purely independently as a self-employed creative or an entrepreneur or a coach or if it's being a part of a bigger entity we're still considering you know what is our relationship to the future that we're creating and story just literally writing it out or talking it out is a way where it starts to become less ephemeral and intangible and starts to feel more real and I believe in the power of that just by putting words onto paper something truly magical begins to happen where I think you know for me it's like the universe starts to birth this reality along with you when you start to take action to make it real in your life well I love the phrase change your writing change your life that's a book right yeah. um, so when I train people media train typically we do it orally and I write mm -hmm. it down because they don't necessarily it's such a different process writing down a story than it is speaking a story. It's using a different Absolutely. part of the brain and both are completely valid. Is your process when you say, and I want to ask you a couple questions about this, but the first one is the process for you and how you teach to write the story first, because you're so prolific in that regard. Mm. Yeah, it's a great question. I actually have used it with my storytelling clients, my story clients. I work with both in partnership with a storytelling company and on my own, I have clients just so you have some background. And you mentioned like the kind of people I work with, conscientious creatives, but like, you know, very driven professionals, very high achieving professionals mm -hmm. who are on the cutting edge of 
innovation and doing something very new and different that doesn't have a name. And also coaches who are kind of living their leadership. You know, they've been in a certain place in their life and now they're trying to take where they've been and share that with others to help those in a similar position. So I actually have used both sides of the approach, Susan, where sometimes I'll prompt people into writing their story first as a benchmark. And sometimes we start with just a purely oral conversation. Lately, it's been the oral conversation is what starts. And then we complement the oral exploration with writing and writing to finesse things out. And there's quite literally a back and forth between Mm. spoken and written. And so we have this dual approach to get the story just right. Ultimately, when we're working online and we're dealing with different bios, we're mostly dealing with, although the internet more and more has different mediums of experiencing, you know, from audio to video, I always find that written is kind of like the passive evergreen source of developing relationships with people, you know, like the about me page, for example. And it's great to have some audio or video on there. To me, the written word is such an intimate form of experiencing one's soul. And it's so chosen, which is why I really fell in love with written word. And I don't want to get too far off from your question here. But to consider just for a moment, as you listen, you the listener, the difference of being spoken at in video or audio form, or even just by someone in person versus the medium of willfully choosing to engage and entertain the ideas in written form on a piece of paper. The reason that I first gravitated to writing when I was younger, I was in you know junior high and high school, was that I always felt as a natural introvert, I felt very almost like repressed when somebody spoke at me in a way that I couldn't choose to avoid. Mm. And conversely, written word was a purely invitational form Mm. of dialogue. And I felt expansive when I wrote and when I read. And when I was, you know, with random authority issues that I had as a kid and <laughs> and still to this day, you know, being, about that. Yeah, being spoken at or commanded or told to do something or respond to something, I really disengaged from it. So that's just kind of why I have this admitted bias towards written word. But yeah, to answer your question, I really believe that in conversation, you can stumble upon things because you're in a relationship to the story in this like collaborative, constructive way with one another. And in writing, that's more of an intimate form, right? It's more you enable someone, you empower somebody to fall into their story in a way that's like a communion with self and with spirit and with source energy. So there's two beautiful ways of getting deeper into the truth of what the story is. And I believe that both forms really help you kind of get there, you know? Yeah, it's so interesting because you're right, they're so different. And I like that you mentioned that it's an invitation. So if somebody chooses to read it, so it's their choice whether they want to continue or not as they're reading it and that they're feeling you through those words on paper, which is completely different sometimes. It shouldn't be, but oftentimes there's a disconnect between someone reading you on paper in your bio or your about me and then what they feel or what they get when you're either speaking or on video and making those things congruent. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's room for both of them. You know, nowadays, everything is trending towards video. And I don't have any statistics off the top of my head, but like the world is all going video. Facebook's algorithm rewards you for using video and for, you know, now there's Facebook Live where you're recording videos live and all the mediums that we're using in PR and in marketing nowadays are gearing towards 
video especially, but you know, podcasting is getting bigger and bigger than ever. And I hope you're not going to knock that since we're on. No, right. absolutely not. Absolutely <laughs> not. In fact, I'm playing with the idea of starting my own and I use video for my different e-courses and for my writers group. And I believe in really mixing up the mediums and I love just engaging people in different ways. To me, I'll always have that special place in that writing has in my heart. And like you said, I think the perfect way to put it is as these mediums change and become more popular and more effective for attention spans and like the way that trends work, I still believe that there's a very important place for the writing. And, and like you said, for it to be congruent with everything else that's being conveyed in audio and video form is very special. And because it speaks to a certain segment of potential customers and clients who require perhaps maybe a longer term relationship-based approach and to building that emotional trust and emotional rapport. Because oftentimes that's why, you know, it's like chicken and the egg, right? Where am I partial to writing stories for my clients because it's effective in its own way or because my clients tend to be these types of people who are all share similar values, which is that it takes a lot of trust and patience and very low pressure form of developing a business relationship. You know, like for example, just this past week, I landed a new member of my online writers group, the Literati Writers, who has been on my waiting list and considering joining for probably 16 months. And uh, I don't gear all of my marketing towards converting someone who's going to be on my waiting list for 16 months. But it's kind of an interesting example of even though the world is moving so fast, I think there's still a place for the slow and for the slow to be very, very effective in cultivating profound change. Because ideally, right, Susan, like ideally, the work that we do can last a lifetime. Yeah. And I think people, you know, maybe they're interested in you at that time, but they're not ready. They're not exactly. ready. And that yeah, they you never them. know. Yeah. And they need to be cultivated along. Maybe they need to have read your 400 pieces before mm-hmm. they realize that they too can before they join your literary writers. I don't think we can guess, second guess people's internal process or what happens, but Mm -hmm. part of the importance of that and the importance of what you're saying is giving them the opportunity to go at their own pace, whether it's reading your writing or writing their own writing and finding their own rhythm for that. Maybe somebody reads one piece of yours and wants to join your literarywriters.com. You know, another another one, this guy, this person, has 16 months of doing whatever, whatever's that internal process. So I want to let everybody know you can read some of Dave's 400 published pieces at DaveUrsillo.com. That's U-R-S-I-L-L-O.com and join his literatiwriters.com group, the home of his positivity infused online writers group. This will all be at BeAMediaDarling.com. We'll have all of the links there and everything that we mentioned so you can connect with Dave. The other question I wanted to ask you that you mentioned, which I think is so important, I know that the popular term is mindset, what you're calling the stories that are dictating the reality that you have in your head. How do you go about shifting those negative stories that people have in every aspect of their life, whether it's holding them back from one obstacle or holding them back from a whole career? Like for you, you said, you know, you were depressed and then you started locating the stories that you were telling yourself to say, hey, you know, one of my stories is I got to wait five years to make a difference. But no, I don't think that's true. How do you start to locate those stories that are holding you back? And then how do you shift them into a new story? Fantastic question. For me, this is where 
the ability to write the stories out and to see them being birthed by your hand into physical form becomes so powerful. For me, Susan, when I had quit my job and was trying to make sense of everything, you know, there's only so much that I think your brain, that your mindset, as you term, that your awareness can hold the space for at one given time. And when you have too many stories and narratives, like just think for a moment, if you will, of all the different titles, for example, that we might come by on any given day, all the different labels that we own or that are assigned to us by others' expectations and assumptions from being human, male or female or both, you know, gender association to race and religion to what is your job title? Are you a mother or a father? Are you a partner or a wife or a husband? Are you a child, a son? Do you have children? It's like the number of titles, this is actually an exercise that I do in my storytelling workshops. You can run upwards of 80 or 100 on any given day of all the different titles that you assign to yourself and that are assigned to you. So just when you start by looking at the number of titles that are assigned to you, all those different titles can hold maybe one, two, five different stories to them of like how you came to be this and what is it right now and what is the potential for it in the future. So I say that just to say the number of stories that we're expected to hold and maintain in our poor little brains is enormous. And so the act of examining which stories are dominating your thoughts and your mindset and your heart space, I think is really important. And meditation and things like this are beautiful, but they still reside in the mind. And so the ability to just reflect on that in written form is where I believe you begin to develop relationship to seeing how malleable the stories ultimately are. And although they feel very much dictated to us a lot of the times, there's a lot of stories we feel like we can't escape. When you do put pen to paper, you don't have to be a writer. You don't have to be a member of my writer's group just to say, like, this is the story that I'm feeling or experiencing. Like, I am depressed, but do I really have to be? Then you realize that the stories in our heads and in our hearts are just as malleable or editable, if you will, as when we write them on paper or we type them out on the computer. Ultimately, a story is a choice. And when you sit down to start to examine, say, maybe the three stories that are really kind of dictating how you feel every day and how you perceive yourself, you know, this is where you start. If you never express it, then you have nothing to build upon or to edit or to change. And so just the act of of writing them and observing them, you can literally put a match to that paper and light it on fire and say, I'm starting over. Hmm. Or you can start to take a red pen and start to edit. Speaking metaphorically now, I mean, you can literally light something on fire if you really want to. I wouldn't stop you as long as you're being safe about it. (laughs) I can't believe you added that. Just, you know, just for the sake of liability. But yeah, just observing the stories in written form like physically affirms to you that you have the ability to change them. So, you know, just note, like if you are in a space of writing or creative self-expression or coaching, start to notice where you find your stories like oral or written going. Do you find yourself continually going back to a story of a few years ago? I'll never forget this one conversation I had, Susan, where I asked somebody, this was a few years ago, I just had met somebody who was a friend of a friend. We were sitting down for coffee and it was like a meet and greet sort of a thing. And I said, so tell me about yourself. Like, what are you doing these days that's getting you really excited? And she said, well, two years ago, I had this really bad breakup. And she went on for about 40 minutes talking about two years ago. And 
I stopped her after the 40 minutes where I was really waiting for her to bring it home for those 40 minutes. And I just like very gently said, do you realize that the question was, you know, what's exciting you nowadays? In other words, what are you looking forward to? What are you co-creating for your future, your short term future with the people with whom you work and other people around you? And her instinct was to go back to two years. She had to set the stage for right now, two years prior. And that told me as a writer and as a storyteller and as a story coach that there was still a lot of her own story that she could not yet rationalize. She hadn't brought it up to speed. And I encouraged her to sit down on her own and to work all of this out as much as she could so that when somebody asked her again, what are you doing right now? She didn't need to preface it with a two-year run-up. And that's the type of thing where we're in a space of service or giving that we need to be extra cognizant and extra aware of where our heads are and where our hearts are. Because if we're still working out things in the recent past or the distant past, which is completely fine and completely normal, it risks bogging others down whom we're trying to serve and help. So that's just like an added caveat of presumably if you're in PR, you're doing something, you're creating something, you're helping others do that, you know, and bringing people along to help create a future and do something special in the here and now. It's just a matter of being extra cognizant of where your mind is and where your heart is and where the stories are holding you back from. Because if they are holding you back, then you're not, you know, living as much as you can in the moment and doing as much as you can with the time that you have. Yeah, I think that's so true. And that woman's story from two years ago was so fresh that it was dominating what you're saying is it was dominating her complete reality. She couldn't even get to the happiness part without telling you all of the sadness that was holding her down. And maybe, you know, that sounds like the happiness part, what was really juicing her wasn't even available at that moment, you know, for her to articulate. And it's all based on the story. You know, a lot of the story work that I do and the story work that I've done for myself and I break it down, the yoga in me, yogi in me breaks it down as like, which part of the story is karmic or is it a past story orientation and which is dharmic or future story orientation? So in the philosophy of yoga, as well, you know, in Hinduism, as well as Buddhism, all the new agey stuff that we latch onto and also apply to our own lives today, regardless of religious denomination. Wait, so which part of the story is karmic, which is past and which part is dharmic? The philosophy of karma is that it's things that you're carrying with you from the past or things that you need to learn to heal yourself So healing yourself, the past stuff so that you can be fully healed here and now. Mm -hmm. Dharmic, what is Dharma is kind of another belief around your destiny, your fate, your purpose in this lifetime. And so these things are independent from one another, but they're also really entwined, right? When you think about it, like for the example of this woman who I had asked basically, what is the Dharmic story that she's living right now? Like, what is her purpose? What is her passion? What's lighting her up? What is she doing these days? And she instantly went back into, these are my wounds that I'm so trying to heal and overcome and it was almost like she was telling me passively that she couldn't be fully in her mission because she was still holding on to wounds and pains of her past so a lot of the story work that i'll do is simply noticing when i have a new client where does their instinct take them does it go into their future story orientation of i see a vision where people who are Young mothers, they've just given birth to their children, their young child, and they want to get back on the health track, but they're feeling really bogged down by expectations, by this presumption that they're going to have to be very, you know, not only very tired, but look tired and not have time for themselves. So, so, <laughs> not only be tired, but look tired. Yeah. Yeah, right. So, and the coach says, like, I want to change that by giving them the resources that they need to mm-hmm. find 15 minutes of healthful living so that they can, you know, yada, yada, yada. I'm just like literally making this up off the top of my head. But that's a future story orientation. And I can see, okay, this person has a very vested stake 
in creating a future for, you know, ideal client. And then I can go into clients. Let's call her Samantha. Samantha, why do you care so much about this person? And chances are very good that she has lived a similar story. And then I take her back into her past story orientation, right? Her karmic story. And chances are very good, not always necessary, but there's a good chance that she's lived the story herself or she's experienced it firsthand. And that's where we really get the meat and potatoes of the story to complement what vision she has for somebody, which is to say, I want this for you because I've lived it myself. And these are the things that I've experienced and so on and so forth. So, you know, these two sides of the story really interplay quite a bit. And it comes down to like being your own story as your own form of PR is to examine your relationship between past and future story orientation. And it can feel like a little bit like a seesaw. Like some days you're living in the past, some days the future. It's all about just finding the threads that you can pull into the center where you are here and now so that you can keep doing what you do so well and sharing where you've been, what you've done, and also what your vision is for the future for people, for your ideal clients, your ideal customers, your readers, etc., so that you can just keep living here and now and doing the best work that you can. And so it can feel at times overwhelming, but really just about asking yourself, where do I want to move forward with my ideal people? And how can I bring some of those threads of the past with me to help people understand it and resonate with it and learn from it? So it all ties itself together in the here and now where you can tell a very short story like what you, Susan, read for me to introduce me of, you know, dreaming of being a presidential speechwriter someday. So you can see the roots of my writing passion and also the vision that I used to have for myself, but feeling disillusioned. And then I added depressed was the impetus for me to leave and to try to do my own thing and be a leader in my own life using writing as my tool and vessel. And I mean, just in a few sentences, you who's listening can have a pretty healthy little understanding. Like if you did some digging, you did some exploring around those concepts, you could probably figure out that I'm pretty service-minded, service-oriented, that I'm independent, that I also like want to take it upon myself to create something. And these are all like little clues and things that we can use through our language to help us understand when we're resonating with somebody, if they're one of your quote-unquote people, like someone in your tribe, or if they're kind of living a different mindset or mentality. Yeah, so what you're saying too, I mean, when you're examining your past and you're pulling these threads through, some people want to discard those painful pasts. But what you're saying is that that's informing your future and to mm-hmm. keep that in there and make the connection between oh, yeah, absolutely. what your pain or what, what you've left behind to where you are today, because that's the whole story. And I yes. know that there's, yeah, right. And now there's a big movement, you know, be vulnerable and, you know, and show your pain. But there's, I think, a graceful way to do it where you're not miring someone in your pain and you're just showing it to them and saying, you know, here's where we connect versus, do you know what I'm saying? I think there's a real difference between bringing somebody down from the pain of your story versus showing it to them, opening yourself up to show it to them to say, you know, we're really the same inside and here's why and here's how far I've come and you can too, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's all about how you tell it. And here's how I can tell when I'm reading somebody's bio or about me page, how I can tell that they haven't I can tell you what they've done wrong and wrong, relatively speaking, like you're saying, like you don't want someone visiting your about me page, for example, and feeling like they're being pulled into the dark hole from whence you have emerged, you know, years prior. But when people use language like saying, like, I'm still a work in progress, that doesn't need to be said. You know, that's a disclaimer around like somebody's imperfections that 
is spoken from a place of guilt or shame, and it subtly plants a seed of doubt in the person who's reading it. And it's one of those things that I try to encourage people to avoid saying, like, you don't need to air out your guilt and your shame and your fear, but you can show someone a very deliberate path from which you have emerged and express it from a place of confidence so that the story of pain or suffering no longer has power over you. And when I talk about depression, I don't want someone to feel depressed when they're reading my story. I want them to know how much the depression was an impetus that sprung me to new heights, that challenged me to go forward. And I still would want them to know, like, this is what depression feels like. And if someone's reading it who, for example, is suffering from depression, I'll write in a different way of saying, like, I know what you're going through and here's how I can imagine you're feeling. But the point is you can kind of use the suffering, the hardships, the trials, the questions, the doubts to frame up why, why you are where you are today. And when you can explain to somebody why you have a personal stake in what you're doing, what you're trying to do, what you're striving for and what you believe, you don't need any other explanation. And frankly, you don't need many other credentials to validate what you're striving to do. And because I had no credentials in doing what I was striving to do, I was a 23-year-old aspiring author who had mediocre writing skills but was hell-bent on doing something with them to serve people. And the story that I told then was a lot different from the story that I tell now because I've had seven-plus years of experience writing and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting and also just living. The story changes as we change. So it's always a very malleable and changing thing, the stories that we live and the stories that we tell. But I knew that if I shared how much I cared about what I cared about, that people who validated that, the underbelly of passion and consideration and determination, that those are the people I wanted to work with anyway. Those are the people that I wanted to be my tribe. I didn't want people to look at my subscriber count and my Facebook likes and to take that as validation for what I had to say. I wanted them to feel just how emotionally invested I was, how much I was bleeding into my computer screen for them to feel cared for. And if I could make them feel that, then nothing else mattered. And I knew that I could develop, I was developing trust with them. And that's like what I value most. That's how I live. And that's how I try to tell stories and how I try to create work where people feel so cared for through the impersonal medium of, and as I flick my computer, the computer, you know, Mm -hmm. this medium, which does bring us together, but is not human. I think our biology is very confused by the contrast of connecting two people through such an impersonal medium like technology. But that's something that's accessible to everybody. You can't feign how much you care. And when you package that and share it in your own unique ways and with poise and grace and confidence, then you have enough at your fingertips, I believe. And I've lived it so I can, I guess, prove it in one limited case study to say that that's enough for you to start to garnish your own PR and to get attention in all the right ways that honor you and what you believe. Yeah, I like that you say you can't feign how much you care. And it's also not about stating it. It's about how you're telling your story and that, you know, and I also like that you said about the validation isn't how many people you have on your Facebook page. It's really when they're looking to someone like you to help them tell their story. It is about how much you care and how you've helped others to get to the place that you got to yourself. Absolutely. I I completely believe that, Susan. The digital world that we, you know, keep our faces in 
which is such an amazing tool for doing more of the work that we love to do. You know, I have clients who have ranged from the Philippines and Australia and New Zealand to Northern Europe to South Africa and everywhere in between. And it's like absolutely amazing. And I would never be able to do it otherwise. But I think it's really important to remember that even though we're in this digital world of numbers and conversion rates and funnels and marketing, that you can still bring a ton of heart into it. One of my friends, Jacob Sokol, who's a life coach and just an awesome guy, says, you know, follow your heart, but bring your head with you. There's space for you to bring an abundance of passion and care and consideration and also to have, you know, the mental aspect of how do I make this work? But it's important to have these two in relationship to one another, you know, like bring all the care that you can when you're making that evergreen funnel. Bring the amount of passion that another human being deserves when you're telling them a story of overcoming and not just trying to get them to sign up for your newsletter. You know, that there's a really beautiful space to finesse. You know, you mentioned I said that coffee is an artistry to me. Make this an artful thing, whatever it is that you're creating and however you're trying to serve. Make it artful so that it honors you, so that it feels good, so that the journey that you're on right now doesn't feel excruciating. Like you're just striving for an outcome or an end goal, but you're in the experience, a cycle of vinyasa, as we would say in yoga, of really intentionally placing things from words to products to Skype calls, you know, and really making it rewarding because that will have a broader effect. And it's the stuff of loving relationships. It's the stuff of bringing communities together. And even though you may be, you know, playing in MailChimp or in Gmail, it does have an effect that's broader because I believe that how you do anything is how you do everything. So making room for the heart space to market yourself and to reach out to people and serve people will be necessarily how you carry yourself in everyday life when you're, you know, driving in rush hour, ordering your coffee from your local cafe or raising your kids or whatever the case may be. Yeah, I think that's really true. And I think you've expressed it in the word infused, that as you're writing and as you're going through all of this daily process, whether it's your storytelling or what you're offering somebody, that you are in part of that process, that you are infusing it with your good intentions and your care for the other person, not just for yourself, like the outcome of the funnel and that sort of thing. Let me get back for one minute to examining the three stories that are driving you, because I think that's really an important point in being able to move forward with your future vision. And I know for myself, an example guy that I'm training in Aikido, and I'm really a dork, very awkward and clumsy on the mat. And one of my values is to be graceful and elegant. And so to have me not do that on the mat and be so awkward is very painful. And I remember walking out the door And I say, you know, I'm off to dork out on the mat. Mm. And my sweetie saying, I don't think that language is helpful to you. Mm. And just to be able to examine that myself. And I thought in that moment, I said, you know what? I am continuing to practice to be graceful and proficient on the mat. And, you know, now I'm a black belt. I'm still not graceful. And now I'm starting to teach Aikido to the beginners. And that's a whole new experience that's not yet graceful either. That's very awkward. And I'm at the beginning of something at this age of 59, you know, and beginning at something like that is really challenging too, because it's a different type of teaching, right? But to start to frame that, like when I came home last night after teaching, it's like, how did it go? And I'm like, well, you know, it went 
okay. And I really learned from the senior teacher after me how to break things down even more specifically and more understandably. So that I'm going to take to my next teaching, right? But instead right. of beating myself up, like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> it was really, do you know what yeah. I mean? I was really thinking. Absolutely. I mean, you will believe the stories that you tell yourself and the stories that you tell others. If you tell yourself, I'm not a good yoga teacher, why wouldn't some part of you, subconscious, your soul, be listening to that and start to abide by it. If you tell friends in passing, like, oh, like I'm undateable, like I'll never find a relationship. Right, right. How open will you be to possibility when somebody walks into your life if you're constantly telling yourself that this thing cannot happen? And it's so basic. It's so simple. And that's why it takes so much discipline, Susan, to observe the stories that we're telling ourselves. And there's so many different options for how to get into it. You know, for me, things like movement and writing, like movement as in yoga, help disrupt the stories like the ongoing narratives or what we call in yoga samsara or samskara, which are mental grooves of the mind. I haven't heard of samskara. Is that a real word? Samskara versus samsara? Yeah, it's a variation of how you pronounce the same oh, word really in funny. Sanskrit. Like you're scarring yourself with your past. Yeah, basically. And it translates to mean like mental grooves of the mind or mental oh. grooves. So tracks of the mind that basically the grooves that you imprint upon yourself based on your thoughts. And so giving yourself the opportunity in writing or journaling, in yoga, running, walking, being outside, being in nature, doing something that you love is a great way to disrupt these ongoing tracks of the mind. And once you disrupt them, then you see the potential for rewriting the story, for telling yourself a different story. Like for you, Susan, it was your partner who was able to reflect back to you. I don't think that that's a good story that you want to be telling yourself. And so the ability to just be cognizant and aware creates this world of potential. And all it really need to do is just start listening to the stories. And over time, you're so just like, listen to the ones that you're repeating to yourself. Like that was a pretty common yeah. one for me on the mat. Like I'm so awkward. And I remember, you know, something super painful. I'll never forget this, that one of the guys, we were sitting, standing around sensei's desk and I was trying to get a little shot glass out of a cardboard, the cardboard thing that held it. And I ripped it by accident. And this one guy said to me, just like your Aikido. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And yeah, I was like, exactly. I was stunned. I mean, I was stunned and hurt. Like, I'm just, you know, I do things so, right? Like, I've ripped this, like, not gotten it out gracefully, just like my Aikido. How you do anything is how you do everything. And we're expressing these same stories in different unique ways all the time. And the more that you can thread your awareness of them into just knowing that it's all you. And not to let others reinforce that. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, that reinforced my own story about my own Aikido. And I just have to say, even though I don't know that I've let that go, it's something that's sort of burned into my mind. Mm. But on the other hand, I'm continually training to what we call Shugyo, which is you know, discipline training toward enlightenment, <laughs> no matter how far off it is, right? But Precisely. that continual training is what you're saying in examining your mind and then putting it down in writing and refining it, right? So putting it into your future on paper. 
Mm-hmm. It's all a process and it's all one of refinement. It's not, you know, the journey of the journey that we're on, let alone the story journey is not linear. It's cyclical. It's repeating. And which is, you know, it's a journey of depth of getting deeper into the truth and to the essence of what we want to be living and how we want to be living it. But basically just about everything in your life can reflect the stories. And like you mentioned, Susan, there's other people who reinforce those stories to you, you know, like you might have an old friend who tells you that you're the one who's undateable, you know, just based on like, haha, this is what we've always joked about. And so we have to be aware of the stories that others impress upon you as well and question if you want those stories in your life at all, because it's your energy, it's your story. And you have permission to cut out what doesn't serve you and to welcome in what does. Yeah, I think that's true. So you also mentioned using movement to shift the story, like using Mm -hmm. yogic movement or any kind of movement. I mean, Aikido is the same thing. We're using Mm -hmm. movement to move the energy, but also to move the stories and to create new neural pathways. When you were talking about those mental grooves, I think yoga, any kind of physical movement is instrumental in shifting those grooves. Absolutely. Because movement, as you mentioned, shifts energy. And when we shift energy, transformation occurs. And on the mental plane, when we're shifting energy and moving energy, as we move our bodies, we're disrupting, like I was talking about the samsara, the samskara, the mental grooves of the mind, the narratives that the ego is entrenched in and doesn't see any other way around because it's so comfortable in those stories. Our minds get very, very comfortable with what is known. And that's the scary part of changing your story is that the mind, the human mind, we'll call it like the lizard brain or the monkey mind or all these different terms that are given to this, you know, lower state of the animal state of acknowledging ourselves. And the mind is always going to feel more comfortable with what is known than what is unknown. What is unknown is always going to feel uncomfortable or threatening or vulnerable. And even if we know in our conscious minds that where we want to go is good and healthy and positive, it's still unknown. And so it still intimidates us and scares us. And the mind is really good at keeping this semblance of harmony with what is simply known and comfortable and certain. And so even something small, like going to a yoga class or going for a walk, being in nature, gardening, as we were talking about before we started our interview, Susan, like just communing with things that make you very, very present and physical and embodied in your body or embodied, then you give yourself a window of opportunity to see the truth and feel the truth beyond what your mind is telling you is comfortable and safe because it is known and certain. Yeah. And you can shift like sometimes if I'm crabby, you know, I'll just go out and sniff flowers or deadhead, you know, cut off the dead leaves just to be out in nature and to hear the birds and just do things like that. And I have a blue jay that comes when I call to get his Mm. peanut, you know, it's just so, and it's so fun. And he'll come and tell me, you know, sit on the tree, like, Hey, where's my peanut? And it's really just sometimes that like five minutes or even 30 seconds can shift your mindset, but just doing something a little bit different. Right. And then I come back and just shift that. You got to give yourself the chance, give yourself the chance to just think anew and feel anew and be renewed. And suddenly like you discover all this room of possibility that's always been there. You just got to risk yourself into it, I guess. Well, we've been talking about a lot of great storytelling things and ways to tell your story and how to get the negative stories out of your head. What about some of the things that people may be doing wrong with their storytelling that they don't know? We mentioned one thing, which was the 
don't say I'm a work in progress because we know that or don't blurt out, you know, I'm being vulnerable here. You know, like that's like to me, one of the worst things you can do. It's like saying honestly, or I'm being honest now, or I'm telling you the truth now. It's like, well, what have you been doing before? So what other kinds of things do people typically do incorrectly in their storytelling that they could shift so they tell a story that really reflects them and really inspires other people to connect with them and co-create with them? Absolutely. I'd say right off the top of my head, Susan, there's either not committing yourself to labels or titles is a very common one because we know that you're an enlightened yogi new age philosopher and you don't subscribe to the fact that your soul can be contained within a title like writer or coach. But for your reader, it's ever important for them to be able to place who you are and what you're claiming to be and what you're trying to do instantly upon meeting you. So it's just one of those things where I was joking and being facetious, but if somebody like really feels uncomfortable with assigning a label to themselves because they're like, I'm not like just these things. I'm not just a PR coach. You know, I'm not just in marketing. Like we know that that's something like you were mentioning, Susan, you don't need to disclaim that you're more than these things. We can assume it, but you need to just as when you're meeting somebody for the first time and somebody says, like, what do you do? You give them some nuggets of information that they can chew on to understand and start to place you. And so oftentimes when people feel really reluctant to give themselves their titles, it makes the reader feel uncommitted to you because they feel like you're not committing to them. You're not giving them the trust that they deserve to know more about who you are and what you do. On the other hand, there's another trend which people in like a self-help or personal development or coaching space do. And it's kind of like tongue in cheek, but I also find that it's really unhelpful if you have limited real estate for describing yourself. I usually use two to three titles to help a reader triangulate who you are and what you do. So I can use some variation of writer or author. I'll mention being a yogi or a yoga teacher. And I'll mention either running an online writers group or being a business storyteller. So that people have this like triangulation around me. They see that I write, that some of the work that I do involves like business storytelling. And then I also happen to be a yogi or yoga teacher so that there's a, an understanding that there's a holistic approach to the ways in which I do things. Or there's some essence of spirituality or whatever you define yoga as. The other way of doing that is kind of creating a title like happiness lover or uh, like catalyst, like joyologist or catalyst. Oh, I like yeah. joyologist. I like, it's nice. It's really nice. But unless you're like really like on board with that, you know. Do you mind do you... if I take that? Because that's one of my core values is too, is to spread joy. I hadn't thought about calling myself a joyologist, but I love that. Yeah. Like it's totally, it's fine and it can reflect what you do, but I would rather, Susan, you say, rather than saying you're a joyologist, to say some of the relatable titles that I understand, and then to say, Susan is X, Y, and Z, who is intent on spreading joy to people through her work. You know, like almost like you can just shift, you can get away from the title that maybe isn't so self-explanatory and using like the economy of your language in such a way where you can reflect more deliberately. And, but and I could also- use that in the triangle, like not all by itself, but it's like I work with people to double or triple their business using sound bites effectively in publicity. And in that process, I'm a joyologist. But you'd have to explain that too, though, right? I do it with joy because sometimes people think it's such a painful process to move from private to public person. See, I love how you just explained it. See, that's perfect. And that's why I almost askew people away from 
using titles that they know what they mean but that so others yeah, yeah. don't. Yeah, so I mean, it's fun, right? But yeah. it's one of those questions where your reader, your prospective client or customer, how are they interpreting that? And what does it mean to them? And one of the greatest adages in all of communications is it's not what you say that matters, it's what people hear. And ultimately, that's what we're trying to do. And it's difficult because you don't know how people are defining these different words and phrases. But we're trying to give people the best semblance of bridging what we're saying to what they're hearing. And those are a couple of things with titles. And it can be tricky, but it can also be a lot of fun when you nerd out about it like you and I do. (laughs) (laughs) It was fun fun just to play with it, like to try to, you know, shift that. Like, because I think it's different saying it versus writing it, too. Because Mm -hmm. in that kind of conversation, I can transition or I can say, use the startle. Like, joyologist is like, wait a minute, I don't know what that means. And then I can just to shift the attention. Then you're like, wait a minute, what does that mean? And then... You can have the conversation. What it means is, you know, mm-hmm. shifting that pain to pleasure, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that's different. So that was really fun to just play with that. Is yeah. there anything I haven't asked you that you wanted to add? No, I think we've covered a lot of ground. And I certainly hope for you, the listener, that it's been helpful and engaging. We've given you plenty to chew on and different things to try out. Just remember, it is a journey and you shouldn't know everything just based on the extent of this one call, but I trust that these things that I've told you are things that I wish that I had learned a little bit more quickly. You know, I've learned them mostly on my own, out of my own stubbornness, Um, (laughs) trying to figure it out on my own for way too long. And if I had had them early on, then I think it would have been such a great help. So I also would like to extend that I'm more than available to chat with you. If uh, you do have any questions, you can find me, as Susan mentioned, at daverciolo.com. My online writers group is the Literati Writers, which you can find at literatiwriters.com if you'd like to get into a sort of a, a three-month expansive, spacious, creative experience that is lightly guided, mostly self-guided, but includes uh, premium writing prompts. It's basically an online space that is protected for you to explore your self-expression, to write more, to learn how to write better through some yogic principles and a chakra-guided e-course, but also, more importantly, non-judgment, no criticism, no fear of trolling or anything. So it's a place where you can express yourself and, and feel you safe. you jump into that place? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you yep, jump in and have... Like, I run it myself, you yes. Know, you have group calls and things like that in there? Exactly, yeah. Right. And so all of this will be on BeAmediaDarling.com. So that's Dave Ursillo, U-R-S-I-L-L-O.com and Literati writers.com and we'll have all of that on the be a media darling page so you can connect with dave and share in his enthusiasm in creating your different stories and maybe get some good yogic tips about shifting your samsara there you go exactly right (laughs) thank you so much for being our guest today dave this was great information for sort of a totally different view on storytelling i think really from deeply inside to not just crafting a story but getting to, you know, the essence of your past and really envisioning your future, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's exactly right. This story is a soulful process. And it's to me and to those of you who want to be experiencing a soulful, rewarding journey through your work and how you're creating change, then the story is one way to start to tap into that and to really keep yourself authentic and aligned to the values that are motivating the actions and the work and, the, and uh, how you show up in the world. Thank you so much. I so appreciate that. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Susan. I appreciate the time. 
Hop on over to BeAMediaDarling.com for any of the resources that we mentioned in this episode and also for free goodies. You'll also find over there some surprises because I would love to be able to delight you. Thanks so much for listening to the Be A Media Darling podcast with me, Susan Harrow. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. And remember, speak your mind, stand your ground, sing your song. I look forward to meeting you.